Please bow with me in prayer. Lord, take my lips and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them. Take our hearts and set them on fire with love for your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Well, for those of you that may not have been here the last few weeks or might be visiting, we are continuing on a sermon series through Paul's letter to the Colossians, and we've arrived at chapter 2. We spent the first five weeks reading through chapter 1, and this is all of chapter 2, so some of you want to call out for a pizza? (laughs) Might want to settle in here. Now, in reality, chapter 1 has in many ways laid such a foundation that we can actually cover what is said in chapter 2 relatively briefly and making some points along the way. Because really, in many ways, what he is doing now is he is unpacking some of what he laid the foundation for in Colossians 1 and applying it to our lives. And so as much as we've heard about and read about and talked about you know, Colossae and what was going on in Colossae and Paul's experience with the Colossians. He writes in this passage, for example, that, you know, though you, we don't see one another face to face, it's because Paul's never been there. He's never done ministry there. And how Colossae, the city itself, was struggling. It was in decline while Hierapolis and Laodicea were ascending. And so we talked about that. We talked about Jesus and the person of Jesus and he kind of throws in about Jesus being the Lord even here. We've talked about Jesus being the Savior and Lord. So he's reminding them of what we've talked about thus far in chapter 1. But then he begins to apply to the certain situation that was going on in Colossae. And that was, there was a heresy going on. And the reality is, is that any time you start taking your faith seriously, when you start being intentional about your faith, when you start living your faith in the world walking the walk, that there are going to be attacks. A lot of times you won't experience attacks if you are either not living the Christian life because you're just bumping along, your faith is basically compromised, it's something that you do, but it's no big deal in your life. If you're not intentional about walking the walk, or if you just, you know, kind of faith is faith light for you. And you would rather fit into the world. That this is one compartment of your life, but it really doesn't take over your life. See, whereas if you really, seriously take the faith into your heart, into your life, and you begin to live it out, you will experience attacks. That's what Jesus said. That's what Jesus experienced. That's what the apostles experienced. The attacks come from outside. The attacks come from the world. And one of the ways we see that here is the Gnostics and those who were involved in ritual and tradition, who were attacking these Christians who were trying to just simply walk the walk of Christ. The attacks come from Satan. And woven into the letter to the Colossians are different titles that Satan basically is known by. The tempter, the deceiver, the accuser of the brethren, and all of those titles, if you will, are woven into what Paul is writing to the Colossians about, about the attacks they're experiencing. 
But the attacks aren't just from the outside. The attacks also come from the inside because, after all, we live in this world, we are of flesh, we have temptations that come our way, we have doubts, we have sin that creeps into our lives. And so all of that also is attacking us. So how do we respond to those attacks? We rely on the power of the Holy Spirit to stand on solid ground. As, as Paul writes in Colossians chapter 2, 6, and 7, to be rooted, to dig in, to be established, and to build on a firm foundation our lives. In fact, a, a, a sister letter, if you will, he wrote it about the same time and they were dealing with similar, similar things. Paul wrote to the Ephesians chapter 4. Let me read to you what he writes to the Ephesians. We must no longer be children tossed to and fro and blown about by every wind of doctrine, by people's trickery, by their craftiness in deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we must grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. And that's meant to be the reality of our lives, that we never really just sit back and become complacent about our faith. That we're always seeking to move on because Jesus Christ is our goal. To be whole and to be complete in Him. So that's the background, if you will, in summary as to where we've come to this point. So now we look at, if you want to look in your bulletin, at Colossians chapter 2, verse 2. I want their hearts to be encouraged and united in love so that they may have all the riches of assured understanding and have the knowledge of God's mystery. I want their hearts to be encouraged and united in love. Now, when you think of heart today, when we talk about the heart in the world, heart in song, what are we often referring to? Feelings, right? It's all about your feelings. When really heart in this particular passage, during this time, this era... Heart meant so much more than that. Your heart really has to do with your mind, engaging your intellect. It has to do with your will, having your will engaged and committed to what it is you're doing. So that instead of your feelings informing what your mind embraces and your will lives out, and you justify and defend whatever it is you're doing based on your feelings, it's the opposite. Once we give our life to the Lord and we're filled with the Holy Spirit, then our will becomes aligned to His will. And our intellect, our minds are meant to be filled with the truth of the Gospel. And then we get our feelings in line. And so often we have that backwards. When we need to engage our wills in what the Lord is trying to get us to do and to be. Now, the Colossians, because their city was in decline, because they were wrestling, not only with where does faith fit in, but they're looking around at these other cities around them. And they're comfortable, and they're secure, and they're experiencing luxury, and success, and wealth. And Paul's basically saying, well, take a look, for example, at the church at Laodicea. Let me read to you from the book of Revelation. And this is the letter to the church at at Laodicea. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. 
I wish that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither cold or hot, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. See, what happens is when we begin to buy into the values of the world, the ways of the world, the belief system of the world, we begin to compromise our faith. And slowly but surely we acquiesce. And what happens is we become lukewarm about our faith because we're more interested in gratification in the world, popularity in the world. And Paul's saying, don't be seduced. Don't be drawn into that. Don't miss what it is that we're calling you to. And Paul and Timothy are composing this letter, and Epaphras, who's their pastor, is also there with them. So you have these three trying to encourage them. And what is encourage? Encourage is the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Encouragement. The Holy Spirit draws alongside us, enables us, supports us, guides us. And that's what they're trying to do for them. You know, I don't know how many of you remember um, the cartoons. Well, this is when I was growing up, okay? Bugs Bunny and Elmer Fudd. Periodically, you would see one of them have these two little figures next to their head. Remember that? And, and oftentimes it looked like them, only one was dressed in like a demon's outfit and the other one was dressed like an angel. And they were having this conversation, you know, back and forth. And they were both, if you will, trying to encourage them to embrace what it is they were offering, Right? Well, that's what you've got kind of going on here. You've got the world and the Gnostic leaders and the people of the community who are not believers talking in one ear. And here you have Paul and Timothy and Epaphras trying to encourage them, infuse them with courage, inviting the Holy Spirit into their lives so that they might willfully choose to live this call on their lives. And so he says to them that their encouragement might be found in the Spirit and with each other. Not only encouraged by the pastors, not only encouraged and infused by the Holy Spirit, but united in love with each other. That they would be an encouragement to each other. See, what we, what we understand our faith to be about is not just individual people walking around doing their thing. That when we come together, we are meant to be united in love. We're united to the Lord in love through Jesus and His sacrifice. We understand the depth of God's love through the cross. And then once we embrace Him as Savior and Lord, now we become united one to another. And that we are meant to encourage one another. This being united in love, the Greek lends itself to this whole idea of being knit together. Knit together. And you know, I'm sure as Paul writes this, that he's thinking about what it is he does when he's not teaching and preaching. Do you know what Paul does on the side? He's a tent maker. He makes tents. And when he was thinking knit together, he's thinking so that it doesn't leak. Right? I remember when, um, when I was young in my marriage to Meredith, which was a few years ago. We went camping once, just the two of us. And then we went, we had a small group Bible study that we were in with other couples, and we went camping once with them. 
And I remember not long after that, she said, you know, Greg, camping's really not my thing. She said, I'd much rather stay in a hotel. So I, I have not been camping, if you will, staying in tents up until this past year when I went to Kibindu in, in a remote part of Tanzania. And I was so thankful that our tent was knit together because of the critters and creatures and the rain. And if you think about it, that's what Paul's talking about. So that we have that sense of security and protection. And it doesn't let the leaks in, and it doesn't let that which could harm us in. And see, we provide that for each other along with the Holy Spirit, working in us and with us and through us. That's what God's design is about. The same word is used of a boat or a ship that it doesn't sink. It has integrity. That's the word. That our lives are meant to have integrity and that we are meant to have integrity one with another and we build each other up. That's part of the encouragement when we're united together in love with each other. And one of the analogies that he does as he's unfolding this is he refers to a spiritual circumcision or a heart circumcision as opposed to just a circumcision of the flesh. See, so often we want our faith to be skin deep. You know, it's like a, a, a doctor who comes to you with a scalpel and you say, you know, just make a little cut. When the heart has to do, when the, the doctor needs to do heart surgery. And heart surgery is major surgery. So that what the Lord wants to do is so much more than a superficial change on our lives, which is why Paul throws several of these ideas out that really just have to do with the outside, but may not have to do with the inside. That David writes in Psalm 51 that he's not looking for just, God's not looking for just sacrifices. He wants a broken and contrite heart. That we're cut to the heart. And in fact, if you go back to the first day of the church after the Holy Spirit is poured out on the apostles, and Peter goes out and preaches. The people say to Peter, what must we do? Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and to the other apostles' brother, what should we do? They were cut to the heart. So much deeper than what we oftentimes want our faith to be about. And what happens is when that heart is cut, broken, the Holy Spirit can rush in. And the Holy Spirit can bring that transformation. And the Holy Spirit can encourage us. And build us up in courage so we can confront whatever challenges come our way. That's what He wants for us. That's the kind of change. Back to Colossians 2. That we may have all the riches of assured understanding and have knowledge of God's mystery. That is Christ himself. See, these Gnostics want to make it this incredible secret knowledge. That you really just have this secret knowledge and it doesn't really matter how you live. Or you might want to do some of these other things, these extracurricular activities, 
instead of necessarily a changed heart and life. And so they have this idea of this mystery that they're holding out to the people. And Paul's saying, really, this mystery is pretty basic. That God made a promise in the Old Testament that He was going to deal with our sin. That He was going to send a Messiah. And this Messiah came, this Jesus came, and He showed us how to live. And then He went to a cross and died in our place for our sin. And now He wants to be your your Lord. That's basically the mystery. And that's what our life is in Christ. That's what the gospel is about. That's what we embrace. Paul writes in another place to the Corinthians, For the message about the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. See, the world that wants to have these high and lofty ways and lift up intellectualism, academia, which is fine, there's nothing wrong with being informed and being intelligent, but when it excludes the gospel as a possibility, there's a problem. Let me read on. Where is the wise one? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, God decided through the foolishness of our proclamation to save those who believe. For God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom and God's weakness is stronger than human strength. Then he goes on at the beginning of chapter 2, 1 Corinthians. When I came to you, brothers and sisters, I did not come proclaiming the mystery of God to you in lofty words or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That's it. Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That's the essential gospel. That's what we need to know. That's what we need to embrace. And when we understand it, we begin to get our minds around the life that He's calling us to in Him. You know, it's really interesting when it comes to understanding. how we're called by the world to be open-minded, right? Now, if you ever engage people in the world who say they're open-minded people and you start talking to them about the gospel, it's amazing how quickly they become closed-minded. I'm serious. When it comes to the essential nature of the cross of Jesus Christ, that Jesus needed to die in our place. Oh, that's awful. No, we need a Savior. When you begin to say, and He's given us this wonderful book to guide us in our life, the Bible, are you kidding me? See, it's kind of like going back to, isn't it wonderful you can go back to the original? Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve, who were given all the blessings that there were to have in the Lord. They walked with the Lord daily. And yet Satan comes along and says, you think you have it? Well, you're really missing it. Did God really say? You're not going to die. In fact, you're going to be like God. 
See, that's the promise of the world. That's what the deceiver is about. That's what the tempter is about. And we get drawn in. And if you embrace this gospel, and you believe the Word of God to be the Word of God, you're closed-minded, exclusive, ignorant. See, Paul says... This is understanding the mystery. This is embracing the truth. That your lives might be transformed. So he says, Do not be deceived. The next verse. I am saying this so that no one may deceive you with plausible arguments. In verse 8, see to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit and human tradition. He wants us to be rooted and established, not tossed to and fro, not superficial in our faith, but ground in our faith. See, the Colossian heresy that talked about this secret knowledge and this false spirituality and this false worship, Human wisdom and philosophy, going back to Corinthians, which is folly, which misleads you. The lie, the deceit, intellectualism, verses 8 through 10, ritualism, verses 11 through 13, legalism, verses 14 through 17, a type of mysticism and a fascination with angels, 18 and 19, asceticism, 20 through 23. And so he summarizes with this phrase, taste not, handle not, touch not. All these prohibitions. That's not the gospel. That's not the gospel. And that's what Paul tries to say. This philosophy that you embrace, or attempted to embrace, will clearly misread you. Let me read to you from Romans 1. Therefore God gave them up to the lusts of their heart, to impurity, to degrading of their bodies amongst themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator. There's a temptation to Adam and Eve. You will be like God. We become the center. We worship ourselves. And we live for the world instead of for His truth. You know, this phrase, being deceived, and taken captive, it's very much related. It's the whole idea of kidnapping. And if you think about kidnapping, you know, think about how children are often lured when they're kidnapped. They're lured by candy. They're lured by cute puppies. Something that attracts their eyes. And draws them in. Think about human traffickers. And how there's the promise of a better life. And luxury. And comfort. And wealth. And their life becomes a spiral. Of evil and destruction. And the predator is the one who gains. The deceiver is the one who gains. And they don't care about human life. 
They don't care about people. They care about themselves. They care about their own comfort. They would prefer using power over people than self-sacrificially loving people. And we often convince ourselves, I'm not like that. See, we might not be in a heinous way. We're as overt, but when we cease being Christ-like, we tend to use and abuse people. When we cease having the mind of Christ, we begin to embrace living for ourselves instead of self-sacrificial love. When we allow ourselves to be deceived and sucked in, we pull away from the body of Christ and God Himself. And we more and more live for this world. Isn't it interesting? We think the big sins are the bad things that draw us away. When it can be so subtle. Subtle in the ways of simply wanting to be intellectual, wanting to be open-minded and fit into the world so that we're popular and we can have success. Or we just live this life that you know, embraces a little bit of faith, ritualism, we go to church now and then, make ourselves feel good, go out and live how we want. Or Gnosticism in our own form. Hey, I have belief. I'm spiritual. Or do we really live the life of Christ? Do we really embrace the whole of his call? Are we cut in our skin or cut to the heart? See, because when we're cut to the heart, our beliefs change. And when our beliefs change, our lives change. And if we buy into the way of the world and their beliefs your lives will change in a different direction. And God wants to cut you to the heart so that He can transform you and encourage you and fill you and use you for the sake of His gospel and the lives of others. He wants us to experience what it means to be united to Him in love and the love of His community. That's the life that he offers. Have you been cut to your heart? Please bow with me in prayer. Lord, how tempted we are to have a superficial faith, a little bit of religion. how we tend to want the Holy Spirit to keep His distance so that we can remain complacent and comfortable and live for popularity and live for the world. But Lord, You call us to something different.
and you send letters our way like the letters in your gospel, in your scripture. To direct us, to challenge us, to guide us, to bless us, and to call us back to you. Lord God, I, Lord God, I pray this day that you would cut each of us to our hearts. That wherever we're compromised, wherever we're weak, Lord, that you would infuse us with your Holy Spirit. That we would have a renewed picture in our mind's eye of Jesus, our Savior, who gave himself on the cross for us. And Jesus as our Lord, waiting for us in heaven. And that you've sent your Holy Spirit to encourage us, to unite us to you and to each other. Lord, I pray this day that we would be your vessels, cut to the heart, empty, open to you. Fill our minds, fill our hearts, change our lives, so that we might glorify you and bless others. And we pray this in Jesus' name.